Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 79, Bottles of Beer on the Wall. See what I did there? Really cheesy, but I won't do the rest of the song, I'm saving you guys from my horrible singing. But today, I'm your host, and I have Matt as my guest on the show. How you doing, Matt? Hey, I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for being here. I actually had another Matt on my show who is a craft beer enthusiast. So just to be clear, this is another Matt. So we have two separate Matts, and they both enjoy craft beer and home brewing. <laughs> yeah, us Matts really love craft beer. We have a, a meeting about it every year, <laughs> the, Matt, the Matt beer meeting. Everybody just goes around, hi, I'm Matt, hi, I'm Matt. Yeah, right. <laughs> Would you like some beer? Yeah, exactly. God, that sounds like such a friendly <laughs> meeting. I guess I have to change my name to Matt. <laughs> yeah, and it's great for people who are bad with names. <laughs> you, know, you know what? You're absolutely right. But today is not about my horrible memory with names. Today is about you and your passion and your hobby. But before we go into that, who is the Matt? Not the Matt, but who is Matt? Sure. So I'm actually the uh, events and membership coordinator for the American Homebrewers Association. Um, I got started in homebrewing in, uh, <clears throat> it's probably about 2011, 2012, right after I graduated from college. And it was just such a fun hobby that uh, I found I was able to share with so many friends that um, I just kept getting deeper and deeper into it um, and eventually started to work for the AHA. And uh, not only do I, I brew my own beer now, I actually work to promote the hobby of homebrewing around the country and around the world. So that's kind of me in a, in a nutshell, I guess. That's pretty cool. It's your hobby and you're promoting the hobby to the entire world. Pretty much like what I'm doing right now, but for hobbies. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. So before we go too far, do you have any social media links or websites or anything, any projects you're working on that you would like to share with the listeners? Sure. I would say even if you are, uh, if you're a home brewer, definitely go and check out our website. Or if you're just interested in getting into homebrewing, uh, you can go to the American Homebrewers Association website, and that is homebrewersassociation.org. Uh, if you've never brewed before, there's a big link at the top that says how to brew beer. And there's a bunch of tutorials that will walk you through the process and the equipment that you're going to need. Uh, and if you're interested, you're, you get into it. We'd love to have you join the association. It uh, comes with a subscription to Zymergy Magazine, which is, has all sorts of homebrewing recipes and tips and tricks and articles and things like that. Uh, we've got over a thousand recipes on the website and uh, we actually have a discount program at over 2,300 breweries around the country. So you go into a brewery, you show them that you're an AHA member and they'll say something like, oh, sweet. Well, you get a dollar off your first beer or something like that. So um, it's it's a really great uh, organization and, um, you know, getting if you're interested in brewing beer, I mean, that's like kind of the place to start, I would say. That's awesome. Sounds like the Wikipedia of home brewing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We actually used to, uh, we, we had an, uh, a re an area of the website that was, I think, homebrewopedia, but <laughs> nobody could really remember how it was spelled. Uh, so we changed it and now it's just, I think it's just like homebrewing tutorial section or something like that. So um, yeah, yeah. Very, homebrew Wikipedia, I would say is a very good way of putting it. Perfect. I'll put all that information below so people people can go check it out, follow it, subscribe, and share the love of homebrewing. Whether you're in the United States or anywhere else around the world, I'm sure they're welcoming to everybody. Absolutely. Now, for you, when did you actually get interested or introduced to homebrewing? I was just out of college. Uh, I graduated in 2010 from a small school in southwest Virginia called Roanoke College. And I think I had like 
been introduced to um, some, you know, craft beers like Sam Adams and New Belgium Fat Tire. And actually, well, that's what got me really interested in it was I took a trip with my dad to Colorado and uh, we actually went to New Belgium Brewing Company in Fort Collins and I had uh, Fat Tire and I was just really enthralled with the idea that I could make that at home um, because they they do a lot of um, talking about how the founders of New Belgium were once uh, homebrewers themselves. And I just thought that was the coolest idea. So uh, I, I kind of stuck with me in the back of my mind for a couple weeks, maybe even a couple months. So long ago, it's kind of hard to remember. But and then I remember I saw a, uh, a group on for a uh, homebrewing kit. And, you know, you can typically get a homebrewing kit nowadays at a, a local supply shop or sometimes even like Home Depot or Lowe's will carry them. Uh, and they usually run about, I don't know, I'd say about 80, 75, 80 bucks. And that'll give you all the equipment you need to brew your first batch and set you up to brew lots of batches after that. Um, but I think the Groupon was probably, I don't know, for something like 50 or $60. So I just thought it was a great way to save, save a, you know, little bit of money and also get into a hobby that I've been curious about for a while. And within these little packages, how many beers could you usually make? So usually the recipe packs come uh, and you only make one beer, but you typically make about five. The, the beginner packs are typically set up to make five gallons of beer at a time. I think it comes out to be about two cases, 48, 48 bottles. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, I would imagine you would share with your friends because, you know, sharing is caring. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're friends I'm, now, right? Is that, is that it? Is it official? I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can come to the Matt Beer Convention <laughs> yes. and uh, just pretend your name is Matt. We're all friends. I'll just have the name tag and I'll be good to go. Uh, <laughs> so this is an odd question, but I'm sure you've made many home brews at home. Did you ever create like a name for your creation? So like the Matt chair cycle. I don't know, like a weird name or I don't know, like your brand of beer. I wish that I could have a more exciting answer, but I never really did get into naming them. Uh, I got into really, I got really got into decorating them. I would say, you know, I, I go to the one of the things that the American homebrewers association does every year is our annual conference called homebrew con. Uh, and it's going to be in Nashville, Tennessee, in June, June of 2020, June 18th through the 20th, 2020. And um, at that conference, we've got about 3,000 homebrewers that come and pour their beer for each other and also learn about how to make beer uh, throughout the three days of the, the event. And you will come across just the most creative beer names you know, you've ever heard. One of my favorites, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan, and uh, I think the beer's name was like Spruce Beerstein or no, something like cool. that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. I remember that one. Uh, but also just like the craziest, wackiest beers, like ones that are just made with all sorts of crazy ingredients, but actually come out really, really well. So I never really named mine, but that is a big part of the hobby, I would say. A lot of people do that. Well, if I were to name mine right now, I'd call it Sticky Finger Tumbleweed. Whatever that might mean. Just let like it. <laughs> it's completely random. Let let the, your imagination just imagine the taste of that. Whatever it, it sounds horrible, actually. You know what? I take that back. Um, so for, you were talking <laughs> about you design more. Like you, you probably did you create like art for your beers? Yeah, I think that's one of the fun parts about it is that you know like you can make a beer from the ground up and design your own recipe and really make it your own and and have your your house beer. You know when your friends come over and 
you can pour them your pale ale or your your amber ale or your New England hazy IPA or whatever you want to make. Um, but, you know, that's that's really the beginning. Like you can really uh, design your own beer label and make it look really cool. Uh, one of the things that I remember doing, if you've ever had so, sometimes breweries will add like wax to the top of their bottles, like there will be a cap on top of it. But then they'll kind of dip the top of the beer in wax, just like a maker's mark, you know, the the, the bourbon. Uh, so a lot of breweries have started to do that. And the reason for it is it actually it, it looks cool, one, but also it uh, helps keep oxygen from getting in the bottle. So even though those bottles are are pretty airtight, even a little bit of oxygen that gets in there can uh, have negative effects on the beer. So dipping it in wax, if it's a beer that's supposed to be aged for a long time, let me say a couple months to a couple years, just over time, oxygen will slowly get into the bottle. So dipping it in wax will help that. So I remember when I first uh, started getting into home brewing, I was really obsessed with the idea of, of uh, doing those wax dripped bottles that just look so cool. And I made a bunch for my brother's wedding and, and uh, dipped them in wax and had them be like black and white to be like the groom and the bride. So, yeah, I mean, you could do all sorts of stuff with it. Um, just brewing the beer is, is the beginning. You can really get into it, get belong to a local home brewing club um, where there's this whole community surrounding beer that surrounding home brewing that um, is super supportive of each other and shares knowledge. Um, and if you're interested in, in joining a club or, or checking out what it's all about, you can go again to our website and click on the homebrew club directory and try to find a, a club near you. And uh, usually, you know, you just go to a meeting and show up and there will be people who are going to be eager to talk to you about how to how to make your own beer at home. That's pretty cool. And you don't need to be named Matt to go to these uh, clubs. <laughs> you, you do not. <laughs> just to be clear. But that's, that's pretty cool. I did not know about the wax thing. I'm going to ask my friend Matt from the other episode if he's ever encountered that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, for you, what would you say is the best part about homebrewing for you on a personal and emotional level? I look at homebrewing kind of like gardening, you know, like, sure, there's 70, that's not 70, excuse me. <laughs> there are 7,000 some breweries around the country now. Um, almost everyone that Almost everywhere has a local brewery that's right down the street from them. So, you know, you can you can definitely get quality, just a vast array of beer styles from your local brewery that you weren't able to get from from the grocery store or wherever a couple of years ago. But the, when I say I think of homebrewing like gardening, like you can go to the grocery store or the farmer's market and you can get your own tomatoes, you know, but... There's something about growing your own tomatoes, about growing your own ingredients and cooking with them and turning it into something that really is you built it from the ground up, literally, when you're gardening. And there's just that creative outlet, that fun, uh, proud sense of of, um, of pride that comes with opening that bottle of beer and tasting it for the first time and knowing that like you made that beer yourself. Um, everybody who's, who's ever done it before, I mean, can tell you that same thing. Uh, so, you know, right when you open that bottle of beer and you pour it a, a glass and you get a chance to not only taste it yourself, but maybe share it with a friend. It's just, it's just a lot of fun. That's what makes it the best hobby in the world. That's, that's pretty cool. Now, when it actually comes to like tasting it, are you your own taster or do you have, let's say, some friends or family who taste it first for you? Because 
I don't know if like if I'm cooking, I taste my own food. I already know what I'm mm-hmm. expecting. I sometimes would ask a friend or somebody else to taste it just to see their reaction because they don't know what I put in it, just to see how the experience is. Do you do that? Um, I mean, I usually will. If I'm going to share a beer with somebody, I definitely want to try it first. <laughs> I want to make sure that it's worthy worthy of sharing. I don't want to. You know, because there's sometimes just like cooking where uh, maybe you added too much salt or, or, you know, overcooked or burnt something. You know, it, it happens in home brewing. It doesn't always come out perfect. So definitely try to taste it first. But I would say I, I don't have like a, a standby group of people that I'm like, <laughs> come on over and try my beer. What I typically do will actually, as I, as I mentioned, the home brewing clubs, I'll bring some bottles to my uh, local homebrew club meeting and Usually at those meetings, there's um, like an informal bottle share where people are just kind of tasting each other's beers and talking a little bit about how they made it and their process behind it. So those are probably the, the group of people that I um, that try my beers the most. Yeah, this is a really stupid question, but have you ever considered or ever done like one of those trivia game shows where you have like you made, I don't know, five different types of beers and you give them to a group of people and then they would have to try identify what is the flavor? Yeah, uh, well, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's even, um, this is kind of getting into the the weeds a little bit, but there's all sorts of um, groups out there um, that are all about judging beer uh, as as fun as that, funny and fun as that sounds. <laughs> it's very uh, strict on making sure that the beer is to style and that there's no flaws within the beer, uh, just like uh, you would see on a, a cooking show or something where somebody gets uh, a beer, uh, excuse me, a dish put in front of them and they talk a little bit about the texture of the food. Uh, there's an entire community of people that are what is called BJCP certified, which BJCP is the Beer Judge Certification Program, uh, who will volunteer themselves to actually uh, be judges in a homebrewing competition. So uh, that's something that is very prevalent within the homebrew club community. Uh, and with it at, at our annual conference, HomebrewCon, we run the national homebrew competition where people were, will submit their beer uh, and it'll be typically judged by a handful of different judges and they each will assign it a score, comment on, on what they did what the what the brewer did that really hit the style they were going for and what might have been missing or what kind of mistake they might have made because you maybe you fermented the beer too hot or maybe you didn't get the exact right sweetness level to it. So, um, yeah, there's an entire culture around not only homebrewing, but, you know, assessing the the quality of that beer as well. Okay. Okay. And I know people are going to hate me if I don't ask this question because you are very wise and very experienced and this might be a really tough question to answer, but what is your all time favorite beer? Whether it's a craft beer or a beer made from a big organization. Sure. I've got my own uh, recipe for just a really simple classic pale ale. Um, It's very similar to if anybody's ever had a Sierra Nevada pale ale, it's it's not too far off from that. And uh, I tend to make that pretty often. And I'd say that's my favorite beer. You know, again, you get that feeling of opening the beer and, and that satisfaction of knowing that you made it yourself. I like that. I, I absolutely love that idea. Like you made it yourself, even though, let's say you messed up. You're like, you know what? This was my mistake, but I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to make it better next time. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's that's that's part of your process improvement. You can identify and that's one of the reasons that the the beer judge certification program exists is you can submit your beer to a competition and 
not only will the judge say judges give you feedback, but they'll also say, well, maybe improve this aspect of your brewing next time, which is, um, yeah, it's, I'm not sure if there are many other hobbies out there that, that do something similar to that, but I've always gotten a lot out of it. That's cool. I like how that there's that positive and constructive criticism feedback to help you improve. Absolutely. For you, how many different types of beers have you made in your lifetime? It's a tough question as well, but yeah. I've uh, I've lost count. Um, <laughs> I would say I've probably made most of the most common beer styles, you know, like an IPA or a stout or I, I got into making sour beers a couple of years ago. And those are, excuse me, those are um, a little bit harder, a little bit more difficult to make just because they uh, take a little bit more time and they take a little bit more patience because you've got to really be checking in on them pretty, pretty often to make sure that nothing is going wrong because they sit and age for a while to let those flavors kind of develop over time. So, um, you know, there's not too many styles that I've not at least given an attempt to. So uh, the only ones I can think of that I've not done too much of are um, lager beers. So anybody that, well, most people are probably familiar with some of the larger macro styles of beer available in the U.S., like a a Budweiser, PBR, or something like that. Uh, Those are are lagers, which means that they are fermented cold uh, and they age for a little bit longer. And they're, they're a little bit tougher to brew just because uh, you need some more, not not advanced equipment, but I would say you need, you just need to be able to control the temperature a little bit better of the beer when it's fermenting. So an ale, like if you're get, drinking an IPA or something, typically those ferment right around room temperature. So if you're you're making your own beer and you are starting to ferment it, you can t- usually just leave it in your kitchen or your basement or, or wherever that is around 68, 68, 70 degrees and it'll ferment just fine. But for a, uh, a lager, you typically want to be able to con- keep that temperature during fermentation around 48, 45 to 48 degrees. And that can be a little bit tricky. So I've not done too many lagers yet. But um, I've got a lot more beer to brew in my life, so I'm sure I'll give it a try at some point. Speaking of which, is there one beer in your category that you like? You really want to make? So you mentioned the lager, but is there one that you've eyed on, like the the one that got away that you just couldn't re- recreate, but you want to recreate it? There is a beer from Hardywood Park Brewing Company in Richmond, Virginia. I'm from Richmond, so I love to promote locally, and it's uh, called gingerbread stout and if you ever taste it it really tastes like uh like a gin if you were to put a gingerbread house into a <laughs> beer this is what that beer tastes like and it's just really fantastic and the brewery does a great job pulling it off every year i know it's very challenging to brew because they use uh i believe they use local honey they use i believe some some vanilla it, it's a lot of like very subtle spices and brewing with spices, just like cooking with spices, can be it can be difficult. You know, you can if you undershoot it by a little bit, then it's gonna be underwhelming. You're just not gonna get that flavor. And if you overshoot it at all, then it's gonna dominate the beer completely. So I've tried to make my own version of that beer several times, and I've never really been able to hit the nail on the head. So I guess that's my continuous pursuit of of perfection in in brewing is to really get down my spice profile when I'm trying to brew a uh, clone version of 
the gingerbread stout from Hardywood. Imagine just after this episode, you go make it and say, like, Alex, I nailed it. And I couldn't talk about it on your episode, but I have it now. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Maybe one of these days. So you're speaking about spices and gingerbread and gingerbread is around like this time of year. Do you have a preferred season for homebrewing? So let's say, do you like prefer fall beers or yeah, summer beers? I think that fall is probably the most popular time of the year for homebrewing just because it's, um, you know, it's not too hot out uh, and homebrewing typically, you know, you it takes, uh, depending on what, how you're going to go about brewing your beer, it might take a, sometimes two hours, sometimes up to four or five hours if you really want to go the, the long route. But, you know, you're, you're boiling a, a pot of unfermented beer, which is called wort, W-O-R-T. And usually the way that I brew it, uh, I put it on like a propane burner and it, you have to boil that for about an hour as you add your hops. And so I, you know, in, in the summer, it's just kind of too hot out for me to be brewing. So I typically try to find a nice day in the fall or the spring when it's, you know, 65, 60, sometime, somewhere around there where it's nice and cool and I'm able to um, brew my beer and not, not break a sweat. <laughs> and do you like brewing beers by yourself or with company? It depends. You know, I try my best to actually invite somebody to my brew days every time that I do it, who's never seen it done before. Uh, but I'm just running out of people to, uh, <laughs> to come to my brew day because they've all seen it before. So, you know, I, I, it, if I can convince somebody to come to check it out and try to get into it, then I'll brew with somebody. But sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just me. Well, if I'm ever in town, uh, you know, if, uh, I'm always down to learn new things and, uh, I would love to see how I've never seen home brewing or any type of beer being made before. I would love to see it if if you're open to that idea. If I'm in town, this is a hypothetical theoretical situation. You're welcome to come, <laughs> man. You just uh, you call me Matt. I'll call you Matt, and we'll brew a beer together. I'll go to the, so I'm from Canada. I'll just go to the border. I'm like, hey, I'm looking for a Matt. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah, there he is. <laughs> And uh, I haven't written this question down, but is there anywhere in the world that you've been or would like to go to try a new beer? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, Germany is the um, kind of the birthplace of, of lager brewing. Um, so that I would love to go to um, anywhere in, in Germany. Germany is actually famous for what's called the Reinheitsgebot. And that is a 500-year-old law in Germany that says uh, it's called the translates to the German purity law, and that means that you can only brew beer in Germany with malted barley, malted barley, hops, water, and yeast. Yeah, and that's why all German beers are typically very, very pure. They're all very usually lager beers and are very classic styles of those those lagers. Whereas you come to America and you go to a local craft brewery, you are probably going to find like a French toast stout or something, you know, like all sorts of crazy, wacky stuff because we don't have those those laws. And uh, another area of the country, uh, excuse me, area of the world that I I'd, I'd, would love to go uh, would be Belgium. Uh, so the Belgians are typically renowned for making uh, really, really fantastic sour beers, as I was mentioning before. Those are, are definitely an artwork, you know, very technical to make. And sometimes, you know, from a homebrewing level, you, uh, I, I would I would call it a, a work of art and uh, just a mixture of, of art and science. And these uh, Belgian brewers who originated those styles are just really the masters of getting just the right amount of, of 
tartness and fruitiness and just flavor profiles in those styles of beers. Uh, so yeah, Germany and Belgium are definitely on my, my to-do list for going and, and drinking beer. Man, I feel like you have such a great experience and like, is it, it's called Oktoberfest uh, for in Germany, correct? Oh yeah. Oktoberfest. <laughs> yep. I feel like that, that'd be a great opportunity to learn about new beers, get a little, just, just a little bit drunk, just a little bit. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Just, maybe, just a, maybe a little. <laughs> but, no, no, you know, there's. It's funny. You go to a homebrewing club meetings or the homebrew con, and you know, there's there's definitely alcohol at in these these beers. But people are very much interested in learning more about how to make their beer better. It's definitely a matter of quality over over quantity, which I think is uh, is great within the beer community because. You you typically don't actually run into a whole lot of people who are uh, I would say overserved at at events like that. They're they're very much there because they're interested in learning about how to make the best beer that they can. Now this might be a stupid and ignorant question for me to ask, but is let's say when you're going to these conventions and trying out new beers, is it kind of like a wine tasting where you just take a little sample of the beer in your mouth and just let it swirl it swirl in there and then spit it out, clean your palate, and try it with another beer? Uh, that's a good point <laughs> there. It, I've not seen many people spit it out. <laughs> I think I'm not, I'm not sure if that's really, I, I've not been to many wine tastings before, so I'm not sure if that is something that is actually done or maybe if that's a myth, maybe it really is done. I, I don't know. But, uh, at HomebrewCon, our annual conference, it's coming up in Nashville, uh, June 18th to the 20th and 2020. We, um, well, yeah, everybody who comes gets a, a two ounce glass or actually, well, the glass is four or five ounces, but there's a line on it that all of the samples are two ounces or less. So, you know, you're you're able to go there and you're just getting small amounts and trying lots and lots of stuff. So we'd love to, you know, anybody who's interested in learning more about homebrew, about homebrewing. I mean, we'd love to have you at the conference. So homebrewcon.org, you we're going to be releasing tickets in, in March. So. We'd love to see you in Nashville. Which apparently is around the same time I'm releasing this episode, which is oh, okay, perfect great. timing. Look at that. Yeah, this was all planned. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, for you, what are some key elements you look for when creating a new beer? So in other words, what do they have to have to have the matte stamp of approval? You know, there are definitely certain types of ingredients that I favor over others. Um, so one of the main ingredients that goes into beer are hops. I'm sure that anybody who has ever seen a beer commercial before has probably heard of the term hops, but uh, unless you've really homebrewed or into craft beer, I doubt many people really know what that is. Uh, so hops are a, uh, a plant, a, a cone-like plant that grow on a vine, and they are put in beer to, uh, one, give a, a balanced bitterness to the sweetness from the malt, and are also uh, part, they started adding hops to beer hundreds of years ago because it's actually a natural preservative. But as the um, craft beer, as homebrewing and craft beer has continued to grow over the years, um, the amount of variety in hops has really taken off. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of different kinds of hops, just like Again, I, I make a lot of, of uh, parallels to cooking. You know, there are a lot of, lot, a lot, lot of different types of tomatoes. Uh, that's kind of my standby to go to. So there's lots of different types of hops, and they all have different flavor profiles. Some come out to be a little more flowery. Some come out to be a little more peppery, 
a little more fruity, maybe a little more earthy, something like that. So uh, I, I tend to prefer certain types of hops that give me a little more of that that fruitiness and a little bit of those like pine earthy tones. So and then some some of those hops also have flavor profiles that I necessarily might not like. So I try to stay away from them. But uh, a lot other people love them. So those are kind of the my way of approaching beer is making sure that I'm using those uh, ingredients that are going to give me the flavors that I, I really enjoy. And I'm sure somebody listening to this right now is like, you know what? Matt's stamp of approval is now my stamp of approval. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, all, all it is is brew what you like, you know? And the only way to do that is to learn by creating. So eventually exactly. you'll find something you'll like. Exactly. If not, you can go see Matt and he'll help you find something you like. <laughs> Homebrewersassociation.org. We've got everything you need. And uh, speaking about having everything you need, what kind of equipment do you currently own for your home brewing? Um, I have a pretty large stainless steel pot um, that you can you can purchase all of the ingredients that you need to homebrew from uh, a local homebrew supply shop or even kitchen stores. You know, you can probably get uh, a pot big enough to brew. If you don't already have it at home, you can probably just get one at, at a local uh, big box store or something like that. Uh, but if you're interested in going to a, a homebrew supply shop, you can, again, go to our website and we have a homebrew supply shop directory uh, that will you can look up one in your area and you can go in and talk to them a little bit about what kind of equipment you need and um, a little bit about what what it takes to get into the hobby. But all you really need and all that I really have are um, a, a large metal pot could be aluminum. It could be stainless steel. Um, you know, the stainless steel ones typically last longer, but they're also more expensive. So if you're interested in getting into it, you know, just a, a plain aluminum pot will do just fine for the first couple hundred batches. Cause I know everybody will run out and start brewing hundreds of batches. Yeah. You don't just create one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so big, typically a big metal pot, uh, to boil in and then also a large bucket that you'll be using to, to ferment your beer in, uh, and some other hoses that you'll need to just transfer some things, uh, transfer the beer out from the pot into the, the bucket for fermentation and a large spoon to stir your, your boil, um, and the ingredients to brew. That's really all you, the major equipment that you need. Um, there's definitely, some smaller stuff, you want to make sure everything is sanitized. So you want to have some uh, sanitation chemicals to scrub everything down with that are food grade. Um, and again, you can purchase that all at a local homebrew supply shop. And, that, you know, like I said, most people have what they need to get started in homebrewing in their kitchen. But if you don't, you know, you can get started, I'd say between 50, 60, maybe 75 dollars. That's perfect. And I'm sure people listening will go out to their store right now, right beside their house and just start getting getting the equipment while listening they're to brewing the- right now. I think. <laughs> As they're listening to this, you know, what? I have a feeling one of my friends, Matt, from the other episode is going to listen to this while brewing because he sometimes doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Probably is. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. Yes. Uh, so for you, uh, you mentioned that you learn a lot from the conventions, but do you have any other methods to learn about homebrewing? Do you go online, magazines, other people? Sure. Uh, I'd say online. I mean, I, I would definitely point people to our website, homebrewersassociation.org and go through the tutorials. Um, but also there's a lot of really great podcasts out there that are walking people through the uh, homebrewing process and not only just getting into homebrewing, but maybe even branching out and experimenting a little bit. So um, if you're if you're into podcasts, I'm assuming you are <laughs> since you're now listening to a podcast. 
uh, excuse me, a really great one is um, Experimental Brewing with um, Denny Kahn and, and Drew Beecham. They do a lot of really cool stuff and talk a little talk a lot about, you know, getting into the hobby and and uh, making sure that you're doing everything. Denny's favorite saying, I believe, is brewing the best beer possible while doing the least work possible while having the most fun possible. It's something like that. I might have it in the wrong order, but uh, he's definitely all about making sure that the people who are listening to the podcast and are into home brewing are having a good time and, and making sure that they don't go overboard with with it with any hobby you can quickly get into the the stratosphere with all of the equipment that is available to you but all you really need to homebrew is a metal pot plastic bucket some other minor uh hoses and sanitizers and your ingredients so um denny's really great about making sure people stick to that so uh, definitely check out some podcasts. Our website is my number one uh, area, of course, that has most of the um, resources you're going to need. That's perfect. So people listening to this uh, will have all that. And pretty much mine is giving you all the resources possible to get started. So you don't have an excuse to not do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for you, did you ever create a beautiful accident? So in other words, where you thought, oh, you messed up, but then you taste it and it's like, oh, wow. This tasted completely different from what I expected, and it's even great. I can't say I have. A, I won't say a beautiful accident. I will say I've had lots of accidents. <laughs> um, there, there was one time specifically where I had brewed a honey porter, and uh, the the amount of sugar that is in the honey, I kind of miscalculated. And I remember what what happens when you brew the beer is uh, you bottle it. Uh, you actually will put it in a glass bottle just like you buy from any sort of beer out uh, retailer. And you'll you'll have a uh, bottling capper uh, where you can actually put the caps on and 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 make sure that they're secure on the bottle. And the way that home brewing is done, you you will actually add a little bit of sugar to the uh, bottle, just a tiny bit. Uh, that what is going to happen is there's going to be some residual yeast left over from the fermentation process. And during fermentation, ye the yeast will actually be eating away at the sugars that you created from the brewing process and turning those sugars into carbon dioxide and alcohol. So uh, once that you are done fermentation and you've got your beer in the bottle, you add a little bit of sugar because the beer is now sealed off in the bottle and that yeast will start eating away at just the, the tiny bit of sugar that you added before the, the cap was put on. And it'll actually naturally release carbon dioxide so that uh, when you open the beer, it is, is naturally carbonated, just like you would get at a, at a restaurant or a brewery where the beer is carbonated straight from the tap. Long way. I, I wanted to explain that so that people would understand what happened to me. Uh, I miscalculated the sugar level in the honey for this beer and I bottled it all and I put it away and there was too much sugar in the, the bottle and too much pressure built up within those bottles. And uh, they it was about three o'clock in the morning and those bottles just started exploding in my kitchen. Oh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't know what was going on. So I thought maybe somebody was like breaking into my house or something. So I went running into the kitchen and was just ready to, I don't know, 
I don't know what I would have done really, but uh, I was very relieved to see that, you know, I was disappointed that my beer was ruined, but uh, I was relieved to see that it was just, just some exploding beer. Yeah. Just, all. just a casually, just a beer yeah. exploding. <laughs> well, hopefully or luckily nobody got hurt and now you know not to put too much sugar, I guess. Right. <laughs> Now, for a darker side, since we're talking about explosions and stuff that could be menacing, um, what are some misconceptions about people who do homebrewing? Oh, man. Um, like I said, my kind of go-to beer that I make is uh, just a pretty simple pale ale that's kind of based off of uh, Sierra Nevada's recipe. There was a, a, a commercial, I remember, that came out a couple of years ago, and I believe it was it was Buffalo Wild Wings that did it. And... It was like these three guys that were sitting on the couch and the one guy was they were going to watch a football game or something. And the one guy who's the home brewer was kind of dressed up like a mad scientist and was like, here, try my bratwurst beer. And there was like sausage or something floating in the beer. And it just kind of looked gross. And the uh, the commercial was promoting Buffalo Wild Wings and being like, don't be this guy. Drink it. Drink beer at Buffalo Wild Wings or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it really it actually was a, a pretty funny commercial. You know, you got to be able to poke fun at yourself every once in a while. But I think that people sometimes think that that's what a home brewer is, that they're just adding all these wacky ingredients, which don't get me wrong. Some people are. But I'd say the majority of home brewers are typically making very classic styles of beer that um, you're going to want to you, that most people are going to be um, able to enjoy. To enjoy without really knowing a whole lot about beer yeah i could be wrong i don't imagine like people spending their money just to like ruin it like i wouldn't imagine somebody who would buy the kid and make some homebrew beer it's like you know what fuck it i'm gonna put some cottage cheese in, cheese in it yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just just have that floating around you know what i'm gonna put a piece of i don't know furniture in it i'm gonna put a piece of my antique radio in there just to say it's a classic yeah yeah i mean it, most people are making very classic styles, but some people like to go off and make some some wacky stuff, which again can be fun. Um, but you know that's that's part of the fun of the hobby. It's just like just like any other hobby, you can make it as simple as you want, or you can turn it into rocket science. But some people really like to turn it into. Some people like to be the mad mad scientist, you know. And um, again, that's one of the fun parts of it. And yeah, it's your money. You can do whatever you want, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now for another tough question: What has homebrewing taught you in life? What has homebrewing taught me in life? Uh, I would just say that it has taught me that uh, there's a there's actually a saying that's one of my favorite quotes that's don't sweat the small stuff that and it, it's all small stuff. You know, you can you can easily be brewing your beer and maybe you don't hit your mash temperature perfectly or maybe your hops didn't go in at the exact right time or maybe your fermentation temperature was just a little bit off. But like your beer is still going to be fine. It's still going to be very good. I'm sure maybe it's not exactly what you wanted, but there's no need to get stressed out about it. So there's actually, um, the, uh, the, the, the person who start, who founded the American homebrewers association is a, a, a man named Charlie Papazian. And, uh, if anybody is familiar with Charlie, he has a, a very, well now well well known renowned saying that is relax don't worry have a homebrew <laughs> i um, like that and most most homebrewers if they've ever you know gotten into it to beyond just reading about it or maybe even just reading about it they're familiar with that saying and all it is is saying you know just have fun with it 
you don't need to get too stressed out and uh, just, you know, have a good time with it. And I guess that's something that it's taught me is that, um, you know, maybe maybe not everything is going according to plan, but you're going to turn out just fine. I would imagine that people should not have the mentality that when you're starting off, let's say the first time ever, you don't you can't just say, OK, I'm going to get a perfect off the bat. It's a learning experience. You got to be prepared for anything. Exactly. Yeah, so keep an open mind, try new things, talk to people like Matt or Matt or even Matt, and we can <laughs> teach you about uh, homebrew. Now, for you, what was your biggest challenge when you first started your hobby? Uh, I lived in a small apartment, so uh, you know, there's definitely some space constraints that you know you even even if it was a small metal bucket, a small metal bucket in a small apartment still took up a decent amount of space. So, um, you know, I remember I wound up having to, to brew, uh, my beer on like a third or fourth floor balcony at one point, which turned out fine, but definitely, um, the, the equipment can take up a little bit of space so that you typically find that pockets of home brewer, there's, there's definitely smaller batch sizes that you can make. You can make one gallon at a time maybe, but typically when I, when I got into it, most people were just sticking to five gallon batches and that's what I got started with. So, um, it was, you know, it was difficult to fit it all into a, a, a tiny apartment in Denver, Colorado, but it worked out. And is that still the same challenge for you today or do you have a new challenge? Oh no, I've got a, I've got a, a house with a couple bedrooms and you know, a big garage. So, you know, I, I just keep beers fermenting in the office and the guest room and the, in the kitchen, wherever. So that's what I thought. I'm like, oh, is he going to say that? Yeah, every room has a beer. Washroom, yeah, garage, yeah. basement, furnace room, laundry room. Does yeah, that, exactly. That's awesome. In case you need an emergency homebrew, you just have it right there. Exactly. It's kind of like, a, this is a weird and way of looking at it. It's like going to Disney World where every room is a dif- different themed beer. Yeah, oh yeah. That'd be a, that'd be a good idea. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll look into that. Like a little museum. Yeah. Now, you've talked about this throughout the episode, but do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby? Sure. Um, I, don't be intimidated. It's a lot of fun. You know, I'm sure that with any getting into any hobby, uh, I, I'm a big home brewer. I'm also a pretty big ph- photography enthusiast. I also uh, enjoy keeping a 120-gallon uh, aquarium, which you know, I'll tell you this, brewing beer, if it messes up, it's no big deal when you're messing up an environment for living animals, you know, it can get dicey. So you definitely want to make sure that you're, you're doing everything right in that hobby. Yes. With homebrewing, it's, it's yeah, no harm, no foul kind of. So, you know, just don't be intimidated. Just, just go to the website, homebrewersassociation.org. Look at a tutorial. If it's something that you're, you feel like would be fun to give it a shot, then give it a shot. What's the worst that's going to happen? The beer is maybe not going to be the, the, the what you expected, but it's still going to be it's still going to be beer. It's still going to be good. So just jump right in. Exactly. Exactly. Give it a shot. You have nothing to lose, but make sure you're of legal drinking age wherever you're listening this from this. Yes. Thank <laughs> that's you. an important point uh, for my younger listeners. Uh, tell your parents to do it for themselves and then just let them describe the taste. And know so you could try it on. Try it a lot later in your life. So once you're legal drinking age. But uh, yeah, no, I completely understand. It's you got nothing to lose from trying it out. Absolutely. 
And uh, so you were, it was kind of a good segue. You were talking about your website. Do you, And I asked this at the beginning of the episode. Do you have any other websites or links or projects you're working on that you want to remind the listeners about? Sure. Um, I would say if you're interested in brewing, uh, but you and you are interested in, in joining the American Homebrewers Association, uh, we again, we publish Zymergy magazine, which comes to you six times a year. Uh, but if you're not ready to, to jump into membership quite yet, uh, you can actually download our app, which is called Brew Guru. Uh, and it's got uh, it'll give you a, a month long free trial of American Homebrewers Association membership where you'll be able to access back issues of our magazine all the way back to the year 2001, I believe. And it'll also give you a map of where all of those membership discounts are. So if you have a local brewery in your area, uh I'd say chances are it's probably offering some sort of AHA member discount where you can go and save a buck or two on your next beer when you go in there. Uh, we also have all 1,000, I believe, um, not all 1,000, but we have a lot of uh, lot of our, our recipes that are only available to members on the app that you can go through and click through and say maybe you want to make – Maybe you want to make a um, a porter. You can find there are we have 43 different recipes for porters on the app. And we got all sorts of articles about about home brewing on this app where you can go through and and read about uh, different things to do with with home brewing. So definitely take a look at it. Brew Guru. It's available on the App Store, Apple App Store, uh, Android, wherever wherever apps are sold, you can find it and uh, definitely give it a shot. Perfect. I'll put that description in the link below. So people, sorry, I'll put that link in the description below. That was weird how I said it. Uh, and <laughs> people can, yeah, I know, but people can go check that out, learn more and follow, subscribe, do everything that people do on the internet nowadays and learn more about home brewing. Now for the last question, I'm never prepared, but always willing to answer. Do you have any questions for me about home brewing? Did I convince you to give it a shot? You, yes, in a sense. And I have a friend who lives right down the street. I would because I feel like he already has the equipment. So instead of me buying the equipment and screwing it up, I feel like I'd go to his place and let him teach me the way first to give it a shot. There you go. <laughs> so, That's a good way. Save some money on my end. I was going to just say we also do uh, if anybody is really wants to see what it, what it looks like for homebrewing in you know, live before they jump right in. Um, the first Saturday in May is always um, Big Brew for National Homebrew Day. It's something that we organize every year. Uh, this is actually a, a, a celebration that is day that is recognized by the, the Cong- U.S. Congress. So if you're interested in seeing homebrewing, you can go to our website and click on the events tab and just go to Big Brew for National Homebrew Day, and you could find a, a um, homebrewing demonstration site near you. Uh, last year, we had over 300 different sites brewing that first Saturday in May. So um, you're guaranteed to be able to find one within your area with all of the, the people that register one every year. And you can go out and ask questions. You can see exactly what's done to, to make your own beer, and you can you know get a feel for the process. I love how everything is just there for you, whether you're at home or out in the public, you can go online, go meet people at conventions, clubs, or even magazines. The resources are there and it's up to you to just take a few seconds to just look it up and then you'll find it. That's, it's great. I love that. Yeah. Jump on in. The water's fine. In this case, the beer's fine. <laughs> the beer's fine. The jump on in. The beer's cold. <laughs> and delicious. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on and just sharing your love and your passion for homebrewing. I'm sure a lot of my listeners will appreciate this, especially Matt from the other episode. He's definitely going to appreciate this. It's a Matt thing. And if you guys want to learn more about Matt and his organization, his hobby, his passion and everything else, you can go check him out in the description below. There will be a bunch of links and projects and things he's working on. So you can go follow that and just show some support. And of course, if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you could send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you think this podcast is going to be helpful for anybody, especially this episode, share it with somebody who might be in need. Maybe their creative side needs to be done with homebrewing. They create something new and can be shared in love with a bunch of other people. So uh, once again, thank you so much, Matt. Yeah, thank you for having me. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.